0: it's taught me a lot about boundaries and boundaries boundaries don't keep I always thought they kept us in you know they chained us and uh, no they allow the real me to be free to be me and and I yeah there's a there's a whole lot of freedom in the discipline and boundaries
1: Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. I am so excited for today's guest, our very first guest. Every other week, we will have guests on the podcast, and they will be real people with real stories of emotions, or they will be experts in all sorts of healing modalities. And sometimes we will be lucky enough that they will be both. And today is one of those days. Karen is an RN, and she's worked in grief and end of life, she's a writer. And she also has an incredible TED Talk called Permission to Grieve that I will link to in the show notes. And above all else, I am so blessed to call her my dearest friend. I love her and I could not think of anyone I'd rather kick off this podcast with. She is truly a transformation queen. She has overcome many, many challenges to be where she is right now. And she continues to live a courageous, open-hearted, magical life. And she has so much wisdom to share, and I cannot wait to share her with you. My dear friend, Karen, welcome. Oh, Meg. Meg, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That was quite the introduction.
0: Hmm. Um, oh, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so thrilled to support this incredible podcast and you in it, So. Ah, can't think of a better place to be right this minute.
1: Well, thank you. This is our first official guest podcast. So I'm just so thrilled to be doing this and headed down this path. So we have no idea. We have no idea where we're going. This is our emotional journey. And both of us are very intuitive. And we will follow those intuitive, magical nudges that will lead us down to the conversation that is meant to come to life today. So I would love to know where it all started for you. Can you (laughs) share a a little bit about your childhood or when you realized you could feel other people's emotions or if you didn't realize that when that came to be for you?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, where, where does it begin? Well, I have always had a desire to know more of who I was. My earliest memories, I would be interested in horoscopes or if somebody could tell a story about me. Um, I love to hear stories about me. I just was really curious about who I was. And I also remember being really big. Like my emotions were big. My, my feelings were big. My thoughts were big. My movements were big. And um, I think I got a lot of nonverbal, nonverbal and verbal. I want satisfaction comes to mind. Like it was just too much for people. And I didn't know what to do with it all. And I also was aware that I always wanted to talk deeper and, and I, I could feel what people were feeling. And I, I had this acceptance of where they were coming from. Like, I didn't get as mad at people because I knew there was a story behind it. And I understood it. And I didn't understand any of this, And I didn't have any teachers or people that could help me understand. It. And um, I knew early on the energy of a room. And I acted accordingly. And it became clear that I felt different. I felt like I didn't belong and I wanted to fit in and I felt like it was a secret and something I've learned over the years is we're, we're as thick as our secret. And I started hiding in food. I found comfort in food. I didn't know that at the time, but I found that food kind of soothed me. It became a friend. It became a confidant. It became a, a lot for me. And with that, I began sneaking on food and became the lying. And there became a lot of things around all that. And I started lying about who I was, lying about what I was doing. And and that became a way of, of living. And, you know, when I was 13, when I was 13, my mother died. My mother died. It was on Easter Sunday. And she died of a heart attack. I'd say it was suddenly, suddenly in the fact that we didn't know that she had any heart issues, Um, but she wasn't feeling well the night before. And in the morning she died and I was 13. My sister had just turned 17 and we were just lost. And, you know, pretty soon my sister went off to college. My father didn't know what to do with me. Nobody knew what to do with me. 1977. We talked differently then. Um, We didn't. Investigate the feelings of what we were going through. And, you know, I was immediately put into therapy, which I kind of liked because I could learn more about me. And, but I I, I didn't trust her. Um, I didn't trust her and I didn't trust the process. And I didn't know how to label the emotion. It wasn't just that my mother died and there was grief, there was anger and there was disappointment and there was envy and there was jealousy, and there was fear, and there was anguish, and there was betrayal. I mean, I, and I didn't know the names of all these, and I really just acted out. I just acted out with um, drugs, alcohol, food, unhealthy relationships, and um, just the science. That became my identity. I was a motherless daughter. I was a rebel. And I was the anti-normal. I didn't, I was speaking for all the people who who were in pain and not being heard. And that, that became my way of life. Um, there's people in my life that would tell you other things that I still had kindness, that I still had some joy. I still was a loyal friend. I still really compassionate. I didn't see all that. I just remember the anger. It led me to a lot of really dangerous places. And, uh, you know, recently I was listening to uh, Viola Davis's book. And she has a new memoir out. And um, she was talking about, and I'm probably misquoting this, but this is what I heard, was she was talking about healing the, the little girl, you know, the little girl who wants too much, And I have spent so much trying to heal that little girl. And the therapist said something to the effect of, that little girl was scrappy. Like she did what she had to do to survive. Like she wasn't thinking like, what do I need to do? She just did it. She survived. And, you know, it's the person I am today that has had to do a lot of healing that little girl. You know, I just have to let her know that she was loved and she is loved. And I, and I do that and every single day. And so, yeah, I just went on a search um, of finding out who I am and how to heal and and how to be a better version of me and what my truth is and and learn to be to be heard without ne- I learned young that negative behavior got attention a heck of a lot quicker than positive. Yes. if I wanted to tell something wonderful that I did, it could be just a minute. I'll be right with you. But if I just said, Hey, I just dumped this all over the place, they'd have to react really quickly. So I learned that really young. And so as I got older, I wanted to find a way to not have to be reckless and um, risk taking. And ultimately I got into recovery. You know, I got into recovery first with food and then five years later for alcohol. And I've been sober now for fifteen and a half years, and you know I do believe it's the grace of my higher power, the power of working the twelve steps, but also my willingness to do it. I believe that, and I and I've just gone from there. I've grown, I've healed, and I've, I think I've helped others.
1: You've definitely helped me, so thank you for for sharing that. Do you do you believe that that thirteen year old? little girl that all of the ways that you were sharing you dealt with that moment would you say it was numbing your emotions or bypassing them or stuffing them down like were you still experiencing the emotions, emotions or or were these things helping you to numb yourself from feeling so much
0: i think both you know i think that's a really good question i definitely numbing. I think for me, the addiction of the food, the drugs, the alcohol, the relationships, all of that. I think in a lot of ways it numbed what I was feeling, although I was still feeling, I still was feeling big, um, I but I think it protected me as well. I wasn't ready to really understand what I was going through. And I, so I think in a lot of ways it did kind of it buffered. Because my mom was the buffer. She buffered me from the real scary things in the world. And now she's gone. And I I replaced that buffer with other things. Just so everything wasn't so scary. But the truth is, it was still scary. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely numbed it. It was too big. It was too much. And I didn't have the language or the tools to deal with it. You know, I could name it. Even if somebody told me what it was called. Now what? What are the tools? Yeah. And for me, top therapy wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, but it wasn't enough for me.
1: How did getting into recovery help heal you?
0: Mm. You know, I went to my first AA meeting when I was 17. I was in a situation and I was kind of forced there. And I'm listening, and I felt like these were my people. They spoke a language I truly understood. But I'm thinking, well, I wonder if there's something like this for food. And I asked somebody about that, and they said no. Well, there was, but she didn't know about it. And at that point, I, I yeah, I had problems with alcohol, and um, it definitely was an issue. But food, I felt like it was a bigger one, and I was not prepared to be a 17 year old without drinking like every you know with everybody else, and. You know, ultimately, I did find the food. I went to my first um, Overeaters Anonymous meeting. It was 1985, my second one in 1992. <laughs> and mm. then I finally went and stayed. It was 2001. And when I walked in, these people just, they told my story. You know, they understood the insanity of what I was doing. You know, I had hoped that if I can just figure out why I'm doing this, then I, I can do something different. And that wasn't working. It, the fact is, I just am. It's just addiction. I, I think I was born with it. And I think I honed it over the years. That's just my story. Mm-hmm. Well, how it helped me was, uh, were the steps. I had to learn that I wasn't in control, which was really hard. It's still hard. I mean, come on. We kind of all want to have some control. I had to learn there was a power greater than myself that could help. me, That what I was doing was insane. And um, and I had, to, I had to let that higher power help me. And then I had to take accountability for everything that I've done. You know, I had to really look at who I am, what my part is, my side of the street. I couldn't blame other people anymore. I couldn't blame my mother's death and my father's inability to handle me or relationships or even, like, God. You know, I couldn't blame anybody but me. I had to not even blame, but I couldn't point fingers at other people for my, opinion. I had to become responsible. I had to become responsible for myself in, in a different way, in a different way. And it gave me the tools to do it. And it gave me the people to do it. Like they, people who came before me showed me and my secrets could come out because nothing I said, other people had already either done it, heard it, been there. And it, it was safe.
1: Yeah. Why do you think that you were able to go like dip your toe in the water for this thing that would ultimately help you but then it took you years to go back before you were really mm-hmm. ready to say yes what what was that process like
0: <sighs> well it was scary you know i was i had proven time and time again throughout my life that i was incapable of moderation of any kind I had proven that I couldn't eat healthy. I had proven that I couldn't have one drink. I had proven that I could not be in a healthy relationship. I had proven so many times that what a failure I was. Mm. And I would see people in here like getting it. And yeah, they told the story and some of their stories, you know, sounded like mine. And, but they, they, they had something more that I didn't. And I didn't want to fail. I didn't think I could do it, but I loved the language. I loved the language; it, it really spoke to me. And after spending years of my life, I mean, I tried on every religion. I have tr- like tried it all on, and none of it fit. There are pieces of it I really liked. in each one there was something, but overall it didn't resonate. And and walking in here and hearing the freedom to define my higher power, um, the tools, and then somebody to walk through it with me. I mean, I didn't just was given tools and said, here, go ahead. It was like, here, let me walk through this with you and and show you how, how it's done. But I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to be that person in recovery. Who would I be? Like, who would I be if I could truly own all my tools? Like, who would I be if I wasn't shoving everything down? You know, I just I, I was so scared of, of recovery and who what that would look like for me as much as I, I desired it, as much as I craved it. I, I was more afraid of it until I wasn't.
1: Hmm. I'm hearing a lot of even I would use the word grief if that resonates with you, of letting go of who you were, right? That this process mm-hmm. on your becoming, you had to let go of so much, all of the ways that you were living in order to take that next step. Does that feel like grief for the old self as well? Oh,
0: absolutely. You know, I mean, this is my belief. I believe we are conditioned to believe a certain way, based in love, usually, by our parents, our grandparents, our teachers, our, these people, these adults, these authority figures that seem to know more than us. And they tell us what to think, to, to believe, and, you know, how to see things. And a lot of it doesn't align with who we are individually. And so I had to peel all those layers back. And I was really scared. What if what I find wasn't that beautiful little essence I thought it really was, like that I once remembered? And there is, there is a lot of grief of letting go, even though it was like doing more harm than good. My food became my friend. Hmm. You know, it was my best. It was the one thing I could count on. You know, alcohol just became a place I could go to. They were reliable. And I have to say goodbye to them. But there is the grief of even them, like, bye, guys. You know, I, no more. You know, hmm. I just... um. It's just there. So there's grief in those relationships and there was grief in the relationships I made and the lifestyle. Living. Yeah. They're gone too. My way of thinking. I mean, all the things that I had protected myself with, they're gone. So yeah, grief, grief was an, definitely an over, an overlying part of everything that I did. and And sometimes still do. Yeah.
1: Thank you. I think you speak so beautifully to a very universal challenge that that everybody experiences, which is like knowing the things that could help you and being so afraid to go there, right? And the courage that it takes to ultimately be able to accept the help in whatever way or whatever form that is, right? It's like whenever I see somebody coming into a yoga class for the first time, there's a vulnerability there, right? There is there is a, oh, I'm doing something new. And that takes such courage to be able to to go down that path. What would you say your relationship is with your emotions now. So now when you experience big emotions after being in recovery for so long, you no longer can rely on the ways that you coped and moved through the world before. So now what is it what does it look like for you?
0: It's interesting. I when my dad died, he died 10 years ago. And I had the um opportunity to help him the last 5 months of his life. And I got to spend just some real quality time with him in conversation, which my dad was not a person that shared deeply about anything. And he, this wasn't different, although I did get a few few little nuggets out of him. And it was just, it was really, it was a beautiful death as far as a death could be. If a death was going to be beautiful, this was it. And, you know, we said there was nothing left unsaid from him or from me you know, back when I was a teenager, he had to change the locks of the house. He didn't trust me. And at the end of his life, he trusted me more than anybody. Else. And when he died, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but it was just like the alignment of it. It was beautiful. I felt at peace. And shortly after he died, maybe a couple months, I found out there's other reckless things I can do other than Drugs and alcohol and food, and all these things that I had taken care of. I, and like I found out, I, I saw myself, oh, there's still other things in this world that can numb the pain. and i and I had to, and I did go that path for just a minute, and I became aware, and i and I, I made a decision that I need to feel this. You know, I need to feel all of it. And I today am not afraid of my feelings, my emotions, or any of that um because, I have to feel them or they will come out sideways every single time. I will be shown something a lot harder than what it would be to feel them. And they, they never, once I allow the feeling to really feel them, whether, and then to feel them, I might feel them in writing. I might express it in writing. I might express it in conversation with people that I trust. I may, um, Just do some meditation. It it was funny. I was feeling something really hard, and a friend of mine suggested I sit with it. And I was like, No problem. I'll sit with it. Sure, of course. 15 minutes. And um, two minutes in, I got a brilliant idea to write a letter. I always believe in writing um, letters to and from my emotions. And so I popped up and I'm like, Brilliant. I sat down and I started writing, and then it hit me. I didn't sit with it. Like I sat for two minutes and I had a laugh. Even though it's something I'm aware of, I still don't do it perfectly. I just know I have to do it in a messy way Then, like I have to just dancing helps me. Like I love to dance it out if I'm feeling something. So there's ways, whatever it is. And I need to go to somebody who doesn't want to fix it. That's really important. Hmm. You know, and I have a group of people in my life. I know who can give me what. And I don't, because our feelings don't need to be fixed. They they just need to be felt and they need to be honored. And, um, And what I'm getting better at is naming them correctly so I can express them appropriately. Now, I love feelings. I was talking one time and I said something about being sad. It was around the anniversary of my mother's death. I'm thrilled that I can say that today, but I'm sad. Whereas before it's like, oh, let me shove this feeling down because I'm so sad. But I wasn't feeling the sadness. And um, this person I was talking to said, well, I, I hope you feel better. And I said, better? There's nothing wrong with feeling sad. What, just happy is the better? It's the more comfortable. Is it better though? I don't know. And um, I, I wanted to feel the sadness. I think there is—it's there's, important. Why wouldn't I feel sad? My my mother does.
1: Yeah, that is what we need more of in this world: is being able to, when someone asks, "How are you?" to say the truth, and for that person <laughs> just to hold it right, to not need to yeah. make it anything other than that. Right? It's like. Be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And one yeah. thing that I love that you and I have come to do is there have been times when I have felt such big emotions and I can't reach you on the phone, but I I will te- either text it to you or just leave you a voicemail. And And I need no response. Like, I will say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. I'm just going to get it all out. Right. And I don't even need a response. And something happens in that just me Mm -hmm. sharing it and knowing that you're holding it, even if you aren't actively there on the phone or whatever that looks like, it's become a really uh, sacred part that you are a part of my inner circle, my inner heart, where it's like, I know I can go with. My messiest, darkest emotions, and there will be no judgment. And like you just shared, there will be no trying to fix it because that's not what I need in the moment, right? That's what we need more of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and just to chat, you know,
0: go a little further with the messy, I think. Much of what we've learned, much of what I learned, you know, it, it makes other people uncomfortable. Our big emotions make other people uncomfortable, so we rein them in, or, or if we do express them at all, they're kind of tied in a nice, neat bow. And the the truth is, it is messy. Like it's just to feel, to truly feel your feelings, it is messy. There is no nice, neat bow. You know, maybe at the end of the expression of it and the release of it and you kind of breathe and it's like, ah, the bow can maybe be tied then. Mm. Or maybe it's just that free. I just, it's, I think it's so scary to be messy. You know, we, many of us have been raised to do it perfect. And as women, you know, to do it pretty. and It's not pretty. It's not pretty. Yeah,
1: And that's what makes it so beautiful.
0: Yeah. I, I think it is.
1: Yeah. I love this conversation because it so perfectly ties into the body in different ways. So in your the beginning of your emotional journey was so much about eating and the comfort that you felt through that. So now what is your relationship with your emotions? in the body? Like, how do you, I know you mentioned Mm -hmm. dancing. So definitely dancing is one way that Mm -hmm. you, you release it. But do you, when you have big emotions, do you feel them in your body? Do you, how does that look for you?
0: For so much of my life, because I did therapy on and off for years. And for so much of my life, the therapist would say to me, where do you feel that in your body? Mm-hmm. And I pretty much always said my stomach because I think I, I related a lot to my stomach because listen to your gut, you know. And so I thought my gut was my stomach and I don't know, but I didn't know where I was feeling it. What, do you, what does that even mean? Where do I feel it in my body? And today, if I if I pause and I and I do try to pause, but no, I don't try. I do pause for the most part. There are times that I don't overall, I do. And I will say, where am I feeling it in my body? And I don't, it doesn't even take a minute. Sometimes I'll feel it in my body and say, Ooh, what am I feeling? What is my emotion? And then I can do something like my hips. I carry a lot of um, dark emotion in my hips, the heavier of the emotion, rage, anguish, grief, like real deep stuff goes into my hip. And I can, there's a lot of yoga poses that can help just to stretch out my hips and move my hips. So to, to now I can go to the place where, where is it bothering me? Where do I feel it and and find a, a space to, to move it through? You know, it's, um, it's I don't know where I was going to go with that.
1: <laughs> That's okay. So, does it yeah. does it show up as so feeling you store a lot in your hips? Does it feel like pain? Does it does it manifest in disease or actual chronic pain, or does it show up in any way like that for you?
0: For me, it's, it's pain. It, it, it's uncomfortable. Discomfort is a, a great motivator for me. I don't like to feel discomfort. <laughs> so it's the, it's a great motivator for me. Yeah, it, it can be painful. It can be a nudge. And sometimes like I get a cold sore at the same place on my lip. And it's always when I'm under a great deal of stress, or I'm sick. Mm-hmm. And I don't get sick often. So it's usually stress. Mm-hmm. And it usually I don't necessarily know I'm stressed until I see that. Yeah, Like I'll feel it and I'll go, what's going on in my life? And it's like, oh my gosh, look at all that's going on.
1: And I can then pay
0: attention to the stress. I wish I could see the stress before that showed up on my face. And sometimes I can, but overall, it's sometimes I'll feel something and I'll say, okay, what's going on that this is showing up? And that's what I mean when it comes out sideways. You know, it it can come out like that or it can come out in my behavior. You know, I might be short with somebody or I might, you know, I just I don't like how I'm showing up. There's something behind that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what... I love drawing that connection. So for some people, they recognize the emotion first, and then they feel it in their body. And for many people, they see it in their body. And then now, through years of practice, you're able to say, okay, when this pops up, I know if I have a cold sore, it means I'm stressed. For me, it's TMJ. It's me clenching my jaw Mm -hmm. and grinding my teeth at night when I wake up in the morning and have pain in my ear and my jaw, I'm like, mm, okay, what am I stressed about? Right? So I know that you love the book Burnout. And in last mm-hmm. episode, we went into stress and overwhelm and talked about all the different ways to complete the stress cycle. So what's what's your favorite way to complete a stress cycle?
0: I would have to say if it's a phys- the physically is, is dance. Yeah, I love to. I love to just. Sometimes it's hard because I'm at work, or <laughs> although I, I've been known to walk away and move, but dance is a big one. It's it's talking. It talking actually does feeling that um, that connection with someone, a positive connection with someone, because I know sometimes I'm with people that I'm not connecting with, and it's so easy to so-called connect with negative conversation or complaints, And so to positively connect with somebody, um, I love at least the 20-second hug. Hmm. I love a good hug where you hug until you breathe. Like you just exhale. You don't even realize you're holding your breath as you hug. And then all of a sudden it's just, I love that. Um, I, I'd say those are my, those are my favorites. I probably have more. I have to think.
1: And you, because I know this about you, you walk a lot. So you, oh, I do move, walk a lot. Movement is pretty much a part of your daily life. Is there some form of movement yeah. happening? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yesterday, I was feeling very. I was feeling very. <laughs> I was feeling <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and I ended up going on a very long, long walk. Um early in the morning. And I was very aware that that's exactly what I was doing. That was funny. I didn't even come up with that.
1: Yep. That that's
0: exactly what I was doing. I needed to release. And, and sometimes when I walk, I'll even, I'll shake my hand. There's a lot in my, I I better, I, I shake my hand. Just to give it an extra boost or something. I don't know. It just feels right.
1: Yeah. Just like just like animals, animals are always shaking to get the stress out of their bodies. Shake it off,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not so true. Mm.
1: Well, thank you so much for this conversation and just helping us understand the consequences of not dealing with our emotions and how that can look and what a life can look like once we do. I think I have one last question for you before we get to our rapid fire questions, which is you have taught me that within the discipline, there actually is freedom. And I remember the first time Mm -hmm. you saying Mm -hmm. something of that sort to me and I was like, no, I, I am not on board with this. I do not get this. I do not understand this. But now that I've had to have a much stricter diet, I don't even want to use the word diet I, because it's not its not in that way, but it's it, it, in relation to what I eat, I found that there's actually a freedom because I don't feel sick or I don't get sick in relation to any gut issues. So can you talk a little bit about the freedom that actually can live within the discipline.
0: Absolutely. You know, a lot of people have mentioned, I'd say they they, they have mentioned this to me. I mean, I eat a very structured food plan and I have for 15 years now. I weigh and measure my food. I commit my food. I know what I'm eating every day. And it seems very like rigid. But for me, because I have spent so much of my life thinking about food? Am I eating too much? Am I eating too little? Obsessing about food, not being present. Now I just, you know, I put my food in the cup and I call it a day and I don't have to give it another thought when it's time to eat. I eat it and I get to be present in my life. And it gives me that freedom to truly see what's in front of me and have conversations and be able to listen and hear the person rather than wonder if they're going to finish what they're eating. You know, I mean, it was my mind could go crazy. And there's just the quiet in that, you know, and just that discipline. I mean, I have other disciplines. I write every day. I talk to other people every single day. I make three phone calls to other people doing the work that I do. You know, I really stay connected. I, I prayer, meditation, just quieting myself down. It gives me the life, you know. I always hid in the noise. I hid really deep in the noise. And um, my, my spirit creates quiet. Like I love the quiet. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I still have to work that through because I can be so disciplined and structured in parts of my life. There are other parts of my life. And, and I say, I, I kind of wear, want to wear it like a, a loose garment. You know, I just want to like flow with ease. And I don't want to be structured in every part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to be. It's it taught me a lot about boundaries and boundaries, boundaries don't keep, I always thought they kept us in, you know, they chained us and um, no, they allow the real me to be free to be me. And I guess, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of freedom in the discipline and boundaries and, and honoring what our what are, what we need.
1: I thought I was going to be able to leave it there. I should never say this is the last question. <laughs> Lesson learned from me. <laughs> so now I have one more question because you brought it up in there. How has your spirituality changed through the course of your life in relation to your emotions wow. and now knowing what your emotions are and and that just that it, what I was hearing is that ability to be really present at this point.
0: I was always speaking. I, I, I wasn't raised with any particular, well, I was raised Jewish, but I was never taught what that meant. So I was always speaking. And my parents gave me the freedom to speak. I could go to church or any place with other people. But over the years, I, I really, I saw. And and it wasn't until I, I came in, as I mentioned, you know, working the 12 steps, it was encouraged that I define what I want. And I tend to, to call that higher power God when I'm in company, because it puts shape and understanding. I, it's just my higher power. It's, it's the universe. It's the divine energy. I've learned in faith and footwork. Like I truly believe in the magic of what is ours and what can be ours. I believe it because I've seen it. And I don't believe in coincidences. I used you know, we say that all the time. It's coincidence. No, it's, it's so much more than that. I believe in, in I rely on the miracles and the magic. Um, it's brought people into my life. It's brought healing. I don't think it just lands in your lap. Although I've had a few things happen in my life that were not my thoughts. They were just came in and I followed them. And it took me down a path, but I had to do the work. I don't think we're just given things. I think we're shown things. And it's up to us to then follow through. I, I really try to keep an open mind and an open heart to that because I've missed so much in my life. Just ignoring all those signs. You know, just ignoring them all. So I I, I choose to believe in something magnificent. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes my life better for it.
1: Oh, thank you. Now we're ready for some rapid fire questions. So what okay. is... Bring it. What did, What's your favorite book?
0: My favorite book.
1: You know, I'd love
0: to say so. I don't know what I'd love to say. So, my favorite book. I'm going to say I'm going to name three, mm. and I don't know if they're my favorites necessarily, but they're books that I reread many times over because they give me what I need. One of them absolutely is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I have read that probably. I don't know, five or six times. And I am sure there are many more to come. It's just something that um it, it tells me about my upper limit and how to push through it. And it just reminds me. And I need to hear it because I do forget. I do forget. I do need to remember. Another one is uh, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, Wayne Dyer. That one is a definite reread. I don't know how many times I've read that. Um, I tend to listen more than read. But yeah, that book, uh, yeah, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. is right there in the title. And another one that I, I go to a lot, and I just actually reread it, like I think I finished it the other day, is Outrageous Openness by Tosha Silver. And it just reminds me of, yeah, it's just like it's all right here. It's all happening. Like the magic is real. The mm-hmm. magic is real.
1: I love all of those books. Those books are all in my top favorite books too. What are you currently reading? Mm, What I'm currently
0: reading, I usually have a couple going. Usually there's some fluffy kind of novel that's kind of fun and relaxing. I don't have that going right now. So what I'm reading right now is, and it's the second time I've read it, it's The Spirituality of imperfection, And I don't have the name of the author with me. Um, There's two authors the spirituality of imperfection. And I don't know, there's something this time reading it that's just opening me up in a way that the time is now. You know, you asked earlier, why not then, why later? And, you know, I don't know why, but the time is now. And this book is just brilliant.
1: Mm, I am adding that one to my list. I've not read that one, but it is, it's in my Amazon cart. So.
0: Yeah, so good. So good.
1: And what is one thing you know for sure?
0: Ah, Well, there's a lot of freedom in saying, I don't know, which Mm -hmm. I never knew until I started saying it. You know, I'm just going to say, I had a couple things in my head that I was going to say. One thing I know for sure is I am powerless over my first thought. I I am powerless over my first thought. There are things that pop in like uninvited and they just show up. I am not powerless on how I respond. My response to the world is up to me. And I can blame and I can accuse and I can all sorts of things. But I truly am as happy as I make myself out to be. And that's Abraham Lincoln. That's not me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, our perception is so important. How do we respond to the world? That's the one thing I know for sure. I love
1: that one. Thank you. And our last question, every week, we like to end with either a quote or a poem, something for people to ponder on. So do you have a quote or a poem you would like to share?
0: Well, I have a quote, a reading and a poem. So yeah. <laughs> I'll try to be
1: quick. You can do one, all three, whichever. We, we'll, we're we here for it. My
0: quote is, um, do one thing every day that scares you, Eleanor Roosevelt. I don't always do something every day that scares me. It's something I strive for, just to be really brave. And um, like today I did, I did this. So <laughs> there you go. My favorite reading is Elizabeth Gilbert, her fear quote, which I have replaced most often with the word grief, but it's fear. I recognize and respect that you are part of this family. And so I will never exclude you from our activities. But still, your suggestions will never be followed. You're allowed to have a seat and you're allowed to have a voice, but you are not allowed to have a vote. You're not allowed to touch the roadmap. You're not allowed to suggest detours. You're not allowed to fiddle with the temperature. Dude, you're not even allowed to touch the radio. But above all else, my dear old familiar friend, you are absolutely forbidden to dress. And um and that one to me goes along with. You know, our emotions we're allowed to feel and what, what gets us in trouble with our emotions is when we let them own us. We are not our emotions. They're just a they're just an expression of what we're feeling. And I know that's what's gotten me in trouble so many times in the years is they I thought they were my identity. And they're not.
1: Hmm. Thank you. That is my one of my favorite Favorite quotes I share with many people, and and one I I choose to live by as well. And did you have one other thing you wanted to share, or was that well?
0: It? It's a poem, but it's 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 um, and it is one of my favorite poems. Mm-hmm. But I it's kind of it's, I don't I, okay share it. it share it real quick. Okay, it's called "The Cookie Thief" by Valerie Cox. Ooh, a woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She munched cookies and watched the clock as this gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eyes. With each cookie she took, he took one too. And when only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled, and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back, feeding in grief. She boarded the plane and sank into her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached into her baggage, she gasped with surprise, there was a bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the angry, the thief. I love that poem. No. It's just, we just never know the whole story. We never know the whole story, you know.
1: Yeah, I've never heard that poem so, before. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I love.
0: It's, it's just one of my mm-hmm. favorites. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I love. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, we just
0: never know the whole story. Mm-hmm. We thank don't. Thank
1: you. here's to our first interview, and I'm sure we will meet again for another interview. So thank you That's for being really, our first guest, guinea pig. Oh, magic. Extraordinaire. Thank you so much. All right. Love you. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight week virtual book study of Brené Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts so you're sure to never miss a single episode.